Hello, I'm Matthew Stepanek. And I'm Rayanne Haynes. And this is Let's Get Lit. In every episode, we interview poets of stature about their work and about the power and relevancy of poetry in order to support and promote it, the arts, and literacy. In a conversational style, we'll enjoy a glass of wine chosen to match the poet's personality and style while learning more about each poet and asking why poetry matters to them. And hopefully, as the um, podcast progresses, we'll be able to maintain our composure as we move closer to some form of bacchanal truth. Yes. Um, Also, we would like to acknowledge our interview takes place on Treaty 6 territory, a traditional gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, Pappas Chase, Nakota Sioux, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I'm Matthew Stepanek, the editor of Glass Buffalo and one co-host of Let's Get Lit. And I'm Rayanne Haynes, the executive director of the Edmonton Poetry Festival and the other co-host of Let's Get Lit. Uh, we would like to thank the, our wine expert, Gravinder Batia, for his generosity as the podcast wine sponsor. Our pairings come from Gravinder's private cellar. And Let's Get Lit is presented with the Writers Guild of Alberta, and we're grateful for their support in promoting and sharing this podcast. Uh, as you're listening, feel free to share your thoughts on the conversation with us on Twitter at let's underscore lit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so today we are joined by Kelly Shepard, uh, who has worked as a kindergarten teacher in South Korea and a construction worker in northern Alberta. And those feel like opposites, <laughs> polar opposites. Uh, so we've seen a lot of maybe a lot of opposites we might. combining today. Yeah. Um, his first full-length uh, poetry collection, Shift, was published by Thistledown Press in 2016 and long-listed for the Edmonton Public Library's People, People's Choice Award in 2017. He has written six poetry chapbooks, uh, most recently A Hidden Bench um, from the Alfred Gustav Press in 2017. And originally from Smithers, British Columbia, Kelly lives in Edmonton. And he is the poetry editor for the environmental philosophy journal, The Trumpeter. Pretty cool. Yeah. And so tonight we're going to be discussing Kelly's most recent collection, Insomnia Bird, which, as the publisher describes, is a cartography and a geography of Edmonton. The poems which which shift between short individual lyric pieces and found text emulate a black-billed magpie's nest with the subject matter and also physically with the words and lines. Uh, The poems generate the theme of home, the bird's nest, the city, and not feeling at home, sleeping, and the inability to sleep. The magpie, the insomnia bird, is the protagonist and the muse, the thread that connects everything to everything else in this work. And while Kelly's poems are at times critical of Edmonton's automobile cultural and urban sprawl, his tone remains ironic rather than moralizing, and he is consistent in his use of dark humor to avoid being didactic. Uh, With such guidance, the poems uh, effectively disclose what is not seen, what is repressed, what lies behind the scenes in the city he shares with magpies, and Mm -hmm. a lot going on here, so lots to discuss tonight. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. We're happy to have you with us. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. Hopefully you don't regret it at any point. (laughs) No, hopefully not. I don't think you will. (laughs) (laughs) And he fell silent. (laughs) He was about to drink a glass of wine. No regrets so far. Okay. 
Okay, so tonight's wine, we'll jump to that. Um, tonight's wine has been selected with Kelly specifically in mind. And he is currently sipping on the wine without knowing what it is. So we get to share. So uh, in homage to Kelly, our selection for tonight's wine comes from a winery in the heart of the Okanagan Valley. We're drinking a 2014 Cabernet Franc from the Burrowing Owl Estate Winery. And in a twist, for me, the selection of this wine also relates directly to the magpie in Kelly's collection, Insomnia Bird. Owls and magpies are two of the most iconic winged creatures in the prairies, and there are few rural residents, hunters, or vacationing city dwellers who have not either observed these magnificent birds in the woods or listened on a still evening to their legendary hoots and calls. So the wine itself has a ripe yet elegant and complex range of floral violet notes, five spices, sage, plum, black cherry, and licorice, with a subtle hint of dark chocolate infused with orange zest. And we all kind of went, oh, this is really good when we tasted it. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we feel like Kelly's poetry has that same ripe and complex notes with subtle hints of texture lingering just below the surface. Nice. Well, thank you. All right. So cheers. Cheers, yeah. <laughs> Dang. Bing. <laughs> And like, I was, uh, it's all just like, what is this the coldest day of the year in Edmonton? Oh, today? yeah, yeah, it's currently, um, well, yesterday was minus 39 degrees mm -hmm. Celsius, and I'm not sure what tonight is, but it's right up there, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. we're all kind of like suffering, and I don't know, Kelly, how, <laughs> how have you been surviving the cold? I've been putting on lots of layers and yeah. complaining. <laughs> Complaining? I've heard that generates heat in yeah. the body. It does. Yeah. It does. I don't know. We never yeah. we never get used to this cold in Edmonton, even though... Because I feel like I wasn't personally prepared for it because we've been promised a mild winter. Yes. And this is not mild. This well, is a lie. And it has been mild, though. Yeah. We've gotten totally spoiled, right? Yeah. Because in a way, this is not an unusual Edmonton winter. Mm. Right? Yes. No, right it's now. Just like, the, yeah, the right now, this is super normal. cold is normal. Yeah. We've just gotten used to these quite mild yeah. last yeah. couple of years, I think. I know. I've been saying to people that all winter, like, we're pretty spoiled. I haven't shoveled much. You mm -hmm. know, normally I'm out shoveling or forcing my children to go out and shovel <laughs> with much more consistency. I live in a condo building, so I'm mostly just like, why hasn't anyone shoveled yet? Oh. That's, that's my complaining phrase especially when I'm walking with my corgi and it's just like if we're going through some sort of slush puddle or something, I'm just like, he's going to be dirty after. And he has really short legs. Yeah. Yeah, and Bella, my dog, also has very short legs. Yeah. Um, but she loves this weather and I won't let her go outside for a walk the last couple of days and she's very distraught. Like, she's so upset with me. She's, like... Mad as hell, and she's not going to take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to drink water very loudly while mommy's trying to record her podcast <laughs> in rebellion. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah, that's interesting because like Bob does not—he does not put up with me taking him outside for this. Like we will just—we'll oh. get only like outside for like two minutes, and then he will just turn around and like wait for me to also turn around. Like he refuses to move forward. He's like, it's too cold. This is not. We're not going to live through this. Do you have Do you have a dog, Kelly? I don't. No. Do you have oh. a cat? I do not. Do you, have, I, you talk no. a lot about animals, but you don't have animals. In I don't. Your life. I, oh. I currently live in a no pets building, and oh. it's it's a it's my only complaint about where I live. Do you want a pet? I would like a pet. 
at yeah. some point. I have had pets. I grew up with pets and so yeah. on. But I don't right now. Yeah, one of your poems where you talk about the dog and the... Oh, yeah. You're not going to read it tonight, but I have to... But you really like that one. Gosh, I, that I poem. You, you've never heard this, Matthew. <clears throat> You're going to have to hear this poem from Kelly at some point. Okay. And it's, it's a poem about the dog and the farmer puts the dog in the pig pen and then the farmer, yeah. No. You're already it's, gasping. No, it's, not, it. it's not from this book. It's no. from Shift. Oh, we do have, I have the, the Shift book here. We'll get, we'll get we Kelly might to do actually a private get you. performance for me. Okay. Later. That's not for it, listeners. That's it, extra content. Yeah, the first time I heard you read that poem, I think that was when I kind of went, oh my God. And I actually gasped out loud in the middle of your reading. I don't know if you remember that, but people turned and, st- and stared really? at me. Really? Yes. I, I actually don't remember that, but... You don't realize this effect that you have on people, that you leave them, like, horrified. Because <laughs> it was just like, you knew what was coming, and you're like, no! It's it's a true story. It's, I know! I mean, it's, it's, a cu- <laughs> it's a couple of true stories kind of condensed into one narrative, but mm-hmm. the couple of episodes in it all did happen. Yeah, and the way so. you read it is really really good like you're very just kind of calm with no emotion and then to the net you're you know where you pause or you phrase is so well done that it like I think I've heard you read it three times now and (laughs) or four times and I'm just like every time that poem kicks me Uh right in the gut that's yeah that's very kind in a weird way that's a a weird (laughs) that's a weird thing to say but yeah Cool. Well, I was just going to say that's an interesting thing to say that, like, oh, like, there's, like, Kelly kind of has to, like, separate the emotion from the poem yeah. when he's reading it. Because I wonder if you feel that poem while you're reading it, if you can make it through it, or I don't know if you can comment on that. Huh. Um, it's sort of in the voice of, like, this somewhat gruff old farmer mm-hmm. guy. That's that's the narrator of it. And so it's, it is a bit detached. He's not going to get broken up about anything. He's, he's sort of just telling this story like... Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And now she thought about separating myself from it in that way, but mm. that's interesting. But I think that's part of what makes it so powerful is because it does have that detet- detached sense of, of reality almost, of, you know, like that not feeling it, that this just happened. Yeah. Might, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, people like Patrick Lane. Yeah. It's it's sort of inspired by that kind of thing, right? His okay. his often just like horrifying images and events that he's talking about. But mm-hmm. just in this completely like I don't know, not necessarily deadpan, but just yeah, he's not being emotional. And, he's not yeah. drawing attention to this. He's just letting it speak for itself. Yeah. I think that's a really powerful. That's an interesting technique, I think. So I agree. I so agree. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that I've somewhat got a little bit of that. So yes. thank you. Yes. <laughs> gonna Everybody's about... going to be like, what is this poem she's right. talking about? That's true. I know. It's we not... might have to get you to read it. I think I'm going to put a plug in right now for at the end of the podcast, we'll get Kelly to read that poem. I, I like that change. Okay. I'm for sure. that. Yeah. You're good with that, Kelly? Sure. You're okay with that? Yeah. Okay. You have, I, I don't have a copy have of that po- book. Yet. Yeah, I have the book. Okay. I have the book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, do you have any exciting projects on the horizon? I mean, the book has just come out, so that's kind of like the exciting project, but do you have yeah. other stuff coming up? Um, I have another chapbook coming out in the summer, in wow. June. Um, also with the Alfred Gustav Press, who have done a couple of mine now, mm-hmm. um, in June. 
So wow. that's it's still a little ways away. It feels like a long ways away, yeah. Does it? Well, Probably because it's minus 59,000 yeah. degrees outside right <laughs> yes, now. Yes, yes. <laughs> June doesn't seem like a reality right now. Oh. But yeah, so that's exciting. Congratulations. That's, thank you. <clears throat> so have you made that public yet? or? Oh, or shoot. I guess I just now? did. I guess Yay, I just did. We're oh, the first to know. A let's get light Scoop. exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Gustav Press, you, <clears throat> you submitted and it's a chat book. So that's, why don't you explain to people what a chat book is? Because not okay. everybody will know. Okay. Um, I believe maybe one of you will know more about this than me, but okay. I think the name chat book comes from, I think it used to be called a cheap book. Like I think it, it comes from cheap because I think they used to, it was a really, really cheap and easy, almost sort of like do-it-yourself mm-hmm. press a long time ago, I think, maybe in England. And they would distribute literature this way by selling it, printing it and selling it very cheaply. Yeah. And so it would be like an essay length or a, a lecture length or a small collection of poetry or whatever. I think that's where it comes from originally. Yeah. And it's actually a pretty big thing in Canadian poetry, right? Like there's a, a lot of Canadian chapbook presses, fine art chapbooks, and short story chapbooks, and so on. And what's it been like working with, like, the Alfred Gustav Press? Because, I'm mean, like, where are they located? In Vancouver. In Vancouver? Oh, okay. Um, it's actually David Ziroth, if you know him, the uh, Vancouver, obviously, based poet. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been around for quite a while. Um, it's his own sort of personal press. It's kind of unique in that... You can't find them in any stores. It's only subscriptions. Yeah. So people subscribe to it. Um, and it's, it's, I don't remember the numbers right now, but it's quite inexpensive. But he does, I think, two sets of chapbooks a year. And so you get, I think, three or four chapbooks in the mail per from set. all different people. Mm. A little set each time. Yeah. So I think that's a great idea. It's a really neat idea. Yeah. 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 And so it's supported, at least in part, by, by the subscriptions, right? Like that. Right. So he'd only print as many as, like, he's got subscribers exactly. for that Exactly, exactly, yeah. Oh, so. so he's not out trying to put them in, you know, bookstores or anything like that. And then the poets get a certain number of copies for themselves that yeah. they can use. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, a neat, it's a neat model, right? It's kind yeah. of an unusual, instead yeah. of trying to just put out stacks and try to get bookstores to agree to sell them or whatever. Which is yeah. difficult with a Which chat is, book. Yeah. It sometimes yeah. is, but I feel like, like, like speaking from, like, experience with like glass buffalo oh right yeah you have a chat book yes yeah yeah and like i think a lot of um stores are very open to publishing that kind of material i don't know too if it's because like glass buffalo already had a relationship as like a magazine publisher with Mm -hmm. these stores that they're like okay if you're also going to do a chat book Mm -hmm. it'll sell but i find (laughs) i think i think sometimes people don't realize like the those slightly like um shady things that they say to you but i remember like had dropped off um, some like chat books at a store that like was like oh yeah like we want to fill ours up because like we sell them so much yeah. and like I had been like dropping off the new issue of the magazine and they're like oh well we we actually sell the chat books and I feel like <laughs> they just like they don't sell copies of the magazine in store and like whereas like our chat books are quite popular and people will buy them in store right and like most of the time like most of our magazines just go to subscription yeah. I really like yeah. that idea of like kind of like a chat book press also kind of borrowing the like magazine model to yeah. Yeah, send that out in that way so because mm-hmm. um, like why not be surprised like you're surprised the same way that you're just yeah. trusting um, I know I feel like I'm going to go subscribe yeah I think I, I probably will too it's, it's pretty neat like it actually yeah. is uh, some of it is just kind of new new writers and mm-hmm. you know and then and then you know Russell Thornton for example mm-hmm. um, 
he's done a couple with them, for example. Like there's a there's a few quite established writers who publish there as well. So it's kind of neat. I'm 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 honored to be in their company. Yeah. For sure. But I I'm interested to hear. We've talked a little bit about what you're writing right now and like what's sort of forthcoming for you. Um, <clears throat> but what are what are you reading? Oh. Yeah. Um, I've been. You know what? It's actually a tough question because I read quite a bit. I use books for different areas of my life. I have like train books, bed books, you know, that right, kind of stuff. Right, yes, yes. Um, I recently finished a book called Tree, A Life Story by David Suzuki oh. and another author whose name I'm forgetting right now. It's okay. Well, yeah, shoot. Suzuki sold the book anyways. Like yeah. Said, <clears throat> so... The poor other author will never be recognized. No. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> oh, anyway. Did you like it? Was it? It was really good. Yeah. It was, uh, it was the life cycle of uh, Douglas fir tree mm. from, from seed to the point that it's an old, like hundreds of years old, dead snag that eventually falls down, like the entire life of the tree. But oh. then, so lots and lots of sort of scientific detail. Yeah. But then along the way, I talked about different, when the tree was this old, or when this was happening with the tree, this is what was happening in history. And so it kind of put it in the context of different historical events and scientific mm. discoveries that were happening then. It was actually really well done. Like, it was very interesting. It was, uh, it's what David Suzuki does, right? Yeah. It's sort of communicating these complex scientific ideas in a very accessible way. Yeah. But it was actually really cool. It was very interesting. I, I was so, very interested in was, reading that. It was neat, yeah. So I read yeah. that recently. Hmm, very cool. Um, it's the only thing I can think of right now. Okay. Yeah. Offhand. <laughs> That's good. So, oh, you only do like one book a month? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so much shame. Gee. Yeah. There's a couple people I know that like have, you know, they, they put book reading goals for the year and they have like a goal of reading 300 books this year. Wait, and how? Who? I don't know how they do it, but there are, I know a few people that have those goals, like they're in Goodreads, you know, that are, yeah. you know, my Goodreads I know someone like that and, as well. Yeah, and I'm like, how on earth do you have the time to read a book, A? And I'm a quick reader, so I understand reading a book quickly, but even to absorb it, you know, yeah. like, but I, I feel like sometimes poetry is different because reading a poetry book will take me, a month because I'll sit with one or two poems at a time, right? Or go back to it. I can't just sit and read. Yeah, poetry is quite different that way for sure. Yeah, yeah. You can't just sit in a you know spend an hour reading a poetry book. You have to kind of move in and out of it. Yeah, sometimes. Like I think like the better times when like a lot I read a lot of poetry collections that yeah. way, and then I'll just go back to them after. Yes. Like I was yeah. like this is all marked up from like anything that I was like oh I need to read that poem a second time. Yeah. Like there's something else here that I think the is going to come up further in the collection or something. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like I wonder, cause I always see those people on Twitter that I think it's like the 96 books is the hashtag and like actually accomplish reading that many books in a yeah. year. And like, I feel good when I get 50, but it's yes. been a while since I've done even 50, I, which I maybe is just like shame on the podcast. No, <laughs> like, I don't think <laughs> we're not going to shame each other. No, but I mean, like, other people will shame us. No, it's they never, won't. It's never the shame in the room. It's the shame outside of the room that I'm afraid of. <laughs> I don't believe, in, I don't believe in, in anybody ever shaming anybody, ever. I think you read what, you, what you're capable of reading at that time in your life, at that stage or that moment, and, you know. 
Okay. And you can enjoy literature in other ways. Yeah. Right? I'm like going to a poetry reading, hear people reading you uh, from their, reading to you from their work. Yeah. Yeah. No shaming. No shaming. Do you hear that? No one, <laughs> no one at me on Twitter. No one have any ats. No ads. No hashtags. No, hash, no hashtags. <laughs> We're not for that. Except you can at, follow us on Twitter. Oh, at let's. At let's oh, you did lit. not just. Pl- of course yeah. I did. You can do it at any point during okay. the podcast. Okay, you plugged. You can you can trim it at any oh point too. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, <laughs> I feel like um, because we were just talking about listening to someone read, that maybe we could have that was a good segue. Maybe we could ask Kelly to read our first poem of the evening for us. And so the poem is called Listen Says the Sea Within You. Um, I've gotten in the habit of reading a couple of these, a couple of these, because I just did some readings in BC and stuff. I don't necessarily always read the whole poems. I have oh, sort of like the book version and then a reading version, oh. if that makes sense. Oh. So basically for this poem, I just, I don't read this page. But I could. I don't have a good reason for that. I just stopped there and was like, Huh, that sounded okay. I'm just going to stop there. I oh, think that's okay. really interesting how poets choose to read their work when they're performing it rather than on the... The experience you know, of somebody reading it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to say that because then if you're following along or whatever and you're going, what? what? What's, he, what's he doing? Yeah. You read it wrong or something. <laughs> Kelly so, doesn't know how long yeah. the poems are. <laughs> Next page. Turn the page. Turn the page. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. Anyway, that's my... Preface, I guess. Okay, yeah. no, I think so. Yeah. Read it how you prefer. Okay. Read it how you prefer. Um, I'll say one more thing too. Just this first line about tattoo parlors and bookstores. Yeah. Since I wrote that, there is a what used to be a bookstore in Old Strathcona, yeah. has just recently and was vacant for a long time, but it had a book sign for years and years. Has that. just recently become a tattoo place. Isn't that interesting? So that was just funny when I saw that. I was like, mm. wow. Mm. So your fault. I did that. You started it. <clears throat> it, was, yeah. it was wrong of me. <laughs> okay, so this is called Listen Says the Sea Within You. Mm. And it begins with a, a quote, um, an epigraph from Paul Shepard, who is sort of an environmental philosopher, I guess. <clears throat> Birds become ideas. They flit through consciousness, connecting with this twig and that branch, are attended to momentarily and in a flash are gone. Birds are not like ideas. That is a literary simile. They are ideas. Tattoo parlors make more money than bookstores. Leaves are louder if you hear them while you are under the ground. To learn their own language, black-billed magpies listen to the toothed edges of fallen gold and brown elm leaves not yet dry, a vocabulary we cannot know. Music the human ear can barely guess at. Do we love the rain, then, because it is not silent? When it rains, we feel in our bones that the rain forgives us. We need this to be true. But falling rain is also easier to hear if you're listening from below. An elm tree greater than 102 centimeters in diameter can be worth as much as $65,000, says Edmonton. Does every raindrop hold a memory? Whose? We dream when we sleep. 
Magpies dream when they fly in the rain. We might not always remember, but every one of our dreams is about either leaves or feathers. The connection is that strong. When magpies dig in the leaves, they are not looking for food. They have chosen their ground carefully. Each returns to the place where it first emerged. Wow. I really enjoy listening to you read. I think you have a lovely um, way of reading. You have a really lovely like cadence even, how you, your pauses and... I feel like I'm leaning forward when I'm listening to you, kind of waiting for the next thought or moment to come. Thank you. That, thanks. <laughs> this is the moment where we just kind of were like, oh, here's, here's the poet's ego, and we'll just keep stroking it. I'm doing no, it hand stroking. No, but I mean, like, uh, just like Kelly seems like he's like not prepared no, for it not. yet, where he's, he's like, not. oh, I'm a guest on a podcast. Just wait till, till you read the second poem, what I'm going to throw at you. <laughs> yeah. Rain has a lot of thought. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's parts like, um, like there's kind of like several parts to like kind of the, the question that mm-hmm. I want to get at. Um, and like, I feel like I'm, I feel disordered in like the, th- of the so many different thoughts that I have about what's going on in Insomnia Bird. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the most like obvious place to start um, and this is like a, a two-parter in ways is that like, you know, we focus on the bird and like the magpie on the cover. Mm-hmm. And so before I kind of say like what I see going on with birds, I want to ask you if you could talk about the figures of the various birds that are in the collection, the magpie, the owls, the crows, and maybe, um, what you think their relationship is with the poetry. Well, that quote that I just read, the, the Paul Shepard line where birds are ideas, Right? It's not a simile. They're not like ideas. They actually are ideas. Like their behavior, their... Um, a religious person would say a bird is the thought of God, for example. Oh my. Something like that, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's, not a, it's not metaphorical. It's not being literary and clever. It actually is a thing. Like it just is that. Sort of, sort of what he was getting at, I think. And I really like that idea that the thing for its own sake, like on the surface, mm-hmm. is a thing. And and people since, you know, prehistoric times have had these great um, sort of s- symbolism, basically, symbols mm-hmm. from, from the natural world and animals. The earliest human art is animals. Mm-hmm. And uh, animals would be sort of messenger type figures, right? And so on and so on. That's It's a really huge topic obviously but so some of it is that trying to tap into that kind of idea of that it's not just sort of landscaping or it's not just this background distraction or something but it is this very deep sort of part of our reality and part of Mm -hmm. us right like part of who we are Mm -hmm. um so that's part of it for sure and then in edmonton of course a lot of them are there is a big black-billed magpie population here yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've sort of looked at it as kind of the muse or kind of the the spirit of the place kind of idea. Like there's sort of this representative animal of Edmonton yeah. in, in my mind. I yeah, think sure. I think a lot of people would probably... I, I think many will agree with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like them or hate them, right? A lot, yes. Not yeah. everyone likes them, but... Um, but then also there is a lot of symbolic and, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with it. Like birds are sort of like angels. If you want to look at it one way, Mm. they're also, 
you know, pigeons, which come up a few times, actually. There's a bunch of pigeons. Are these kind of unwanted, people call them flying rats. Like, they're kind of these, or winged rats or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Garbage eaters or um, the way they're treated perhaps might not be too different from the way homeless people are treated mm. in a city, for example, right? There's, there's some of these kind of connections. Um, wild birds versus totally urban wildlife birds. Yeah. I don't mean versus like they're two opposing forces or something, but something like a pileated woodpecker or a great horned owl that we'll see in the city. Mm-hmm. But it's like a visitor almost from another place versus magpies who literally dwell here. Right. Right. So there's all these different. That's a partial answer, anyway. Yeah. No. And like that's a that's a really good start because like uh, it even lets me like ask my further part of the question Um, because (laughs) the thing that I I started to notice and like um, I did a lot of like late night poetry readings of this collection which always just affects like how I read poems because I start to notice things differently maybe like because I'm a little bit tired maybe I've had like already a drink already but I was I was interested in the way that I seem to notice that. Um, birds became observers mm-hmm. in a lot of the poems and they mm-hmm. seemed to stand as like judges to human actions mm-hmm. and behavior um, there was just like a line I think I wrote down like page 29 in one of the poems where you know uh, mm-hmm. you are the crows who like it even less than I do and um, and like cultural Darwinism for dummies there was another line about these owls that like get erected to uh, statues that can kind of look over um, buildings mm-hmm. and whatnot. so um, I was, I was curious to hear like kind of the relationship between birds and humans and maybe ways that you maybe think that we should be learning from them or like noticing what they're yeah. observing. <laughs> yeah. Part of it, part of it as well in, with the magpie in particular, but other birds too, is that it's sort of the, sort of the muse or kind of a, I don't think I use the word trickster in the book, but sort of a trickster figure perhaps. Mm-hmm. But, um, Somebody who's, yeah, somebody who is observing, like the magpie's eye is is often like it's the it's the magpie gaze type yes. thing where yes. look what humans are doing or listen to this noise or this this type of thing. So sort of from the bird's point of view is kind of so I did try that as well. You're right. That's there's a bit of that mm-hmm. that that we have been found wanting, right? That magpies <laughs> are looking at us and we're like we're supposed to be the noisy pests right but look how you guys are behaving right that's what type thing kind of saying. something like that yeah yeah, yeah. well and ah. as their numbers grow then you know maybe their next you know move is a war well the birds are <laughs> going to, the birds are going to take over yeah they are i mean that's been that's, com- that's common knowledge yeah. yeah that's that's been established yes <laughs> i'm ready for it i'm yeah. uncomfortable with that well really you're comfortable with it like i'm tired of being in charge like oh. let the let the let the birds have their mortgages and <laughs> and drive their cars. I don't know what society they build. It would probably be completely different. I think you've just like given Kelly another poem there. Driving the cars. You 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 need to credit me on that one. Okay, I will. I'm gonna take that. Yeah. Um. I mean, we're giggling, but you you're all, you're you're very playful in your form. Um, particularly with the kind of choose your own adventure poem on page 30 in the book. Um, so how did you decide what poems or how do you decide what poems will work best this way? And is it, is it, is it the sort of poem that was built specifically for a collection or do you just 
That one, the choose your own yeah, adventure one. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of it. A lot of it is sort of self-referential in that there's sort of forms that you should fill out or instructions like mm-hmm. see step three or write some of this yeah. kind of going for the corporate document or the sort of government documentation kind of form, mm-hmm. which is which is often baffling and sort of <laughs> <yeah>. confusing, <laughs> but also kind of easy to make fun of, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, the choose your own adventure one, it's just... Uh, I don't, I don't know exactly how to explain that. It, it was it was originally longer. That's the cut okay. version. There was originally a whole bunch more options, but it was a little bit much, I think. Mm. Um, but just that's another example of sort of looking at things from one on one level, just like if you're a pigeon and you approve of the, however it goes, the, the installation the spikes. of spikes yeah. Yeah. designed to prevent your perching. And then it directs you to other poems. And those poems are about how people are misplaced, mm-hmm. right? So it's sort of this, because we have all of these weird, cruel things, right? These yeah. spiky things and stuff to keep birds from perching. But then we also treat each other that way, too. Yeah. There's literally architecture with spikes. I think you can do it in, like, on private, on private. builded stuff. Like, I don't know if okay. the city can. Yeah. But I yeah. just remember, like, I think there was a conversation, like, on the condo board for my condo, and I feel like mm-hmm. there was just, like, a particular spot that, like, pigeons perch and they were like oh we should put up these spikes for it and I was no like, oh. i'm not referencing pigeons we're talking about where they were actually putting oh, on those, benches for oh the benches for to oh, stop, to stop people, people from, from loitering oh i thought we were doing oh both okay yeah, no, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it, it kind of is both well they are kind of both one I is, that's what yeah, you're really saying one is yeah. pointing to the other i guess right yeah. i forgot that okay, so it's, yeah it's kind of like making it I had a little bit of wine, okay? <laughs> and then I forgot the entire... I didn't have the entire compendium of the history of the world in my mind. What were, what were we discussing? Well, what question is The just playfulness kind of, in Kelly's right. form. But, it, I mean, it's playful, but it's also, you know, speaking to these really deep kind of dark parts of humanity, but in this form that is, yeah, at times playful, at times where you're kind of saying oh did I read what I thought I read there you know like very questioning even within the poem itself um so I think yeah yeah, it's a the collection itself is very unique in in the way that you kind of flow through those questions um the way that you come at them I think well two two things I have two I thought of two things okay I'm I'm quite inspired by the writer Kurt Vonnegut Mm. although he doesn't write poetry um, he uses humor, like just bizarre, a lot of very absurdist kind of humor. Mm-hmm. And, and you almost can't help but laugh or wonder, you know, what's even happening? But he's using that to discuss some really difficult and tragic sort of historical things or difficult situations and, and so on. Um, and so I think the, the way that humor, the way that a funny joke can kind of jar you, like it mm-hmm. kind of makes your mind do something, right? You have to do this sort of leap almost. Yeah. Um, shocking things do that too. And, and poetry does that, right? Like that's yeah. sort of what poetry does is make you make this sort of, your imagination has to do some kind of jump yeah. in some way, right? Like some kind of, so I think humor and, and using humor for non-humorous purposes and stuff, that's sort of what I, mm-hmm. what I'm going for, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I hope it's successful, at least some of the time. But then also, one more thing, just while I have this in my mind, because yeah. it will not last long. Um, 
the the weaving thing, right? The, mm. the sort of magpie nest metaphor is, yeah. is kind of a part of it too, is that deliberately making this tangled sort of thing of like, it's asymmetrical and it might be kind of messy and whatever, but mm. that's sort of how a magpie builds their nest. And so it's kind of like, it's a magpie nest, but built out of chunks of words and text and sort of that's sort of the image the metaphor I was working with yeah I can see it as soon as you say it out loud that's the the opening the opening quote about Mm -hmm. of yeah it's the epigraph right at the very beginning which is and of these one and all I weave the song of myself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. magpie on nest building it's actually from Walt Whitman and I do give him credit at the back what was interesting, like, just even talking about the entanglement and, like, now I'm starting to even see more parallels mm-hmm. with, like, the bureaucracy and the necess- necessity of, like, mentioning bureaucracy in, in different moments in the in the book and, um, you know, similar to, like, what you just noted with how many things are referenced at the back. Yeah. Um, can you walk us through a little bit of your process for writing many of the poems in the collection? Because particularly how a lot of found texts work their way just into texts and, like, mm-hmm. and, and just the, mm-hmm. some of the titles are just... Um, but even just like, oh, uh, oh, the one that I thought about a lot was the uh, We Don't Want McDonald's at yeah. Heritage Days. And then the poem seems to be about something very different, but still, like, it's just like things that you know you've heard other people in Edmonton saying or um, how you kind of decide on that and work yeah. with the... Yeah, um, it, was, it was a lot of fun, and it was a really big process, too. Um, basically, it started out as a really huge manuscript that was unwieldy Uh. and and was going kind of nowhere at first but I was working with a BC writer and editor named Harold Rennish oh yeah who's been here at the Edmonton Poetry Festival before Um, he and I kind of came up with this sort of as part of this ongoing conversation Mm. we need to introduce he said we need to introduce more randomness we need to have more play talking about all these serious things and it's too you know Mm -hmm. we need more kind of and so I started collecting. I had already been doing this anyway, but I just started compiling this huge collection of found texts and quotes mm-hmm. um, from the bus and from websites and just from all over the place, Edmonton stuff. Mm-hmm. And then also randomly generating lines using mm-hmm. often Edmonton-related things, but literally just kind of like random phrases and stuff. And then a lot of... The result was a huge list, and a lot of them didn't make the cut, basically. But a lot of those got kind of shuffled in and became titles, first lines, last lines, and sort of of shuffled it. But then it couldn't just be totally... I wasn't going for total dataist, surreal, like just throw it at the wall and see what happened. (laughs) It still had to fit a little bit, at least... You know, yeah. So shuffle it, but then kind of play with it a little bit. So it was random-ish. Wow, I guess. what a unique. So concept. it was a yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a big, it was a big job. Yeah. And then, the yeah. the publisher accepted it, and even then, it was a huge unwieldy thing that needed to be. Even after accepting, yeah. 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 And so, how long did it take you to write this collection then? <clears throat> um, some of the poems were already in existence years mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. um and so so that's a little bit hard to, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah hard you're to, right you're right yeah um, i mean we don't always know that we're yeah. writing a collection 
And some of the poems were literally lifted from previous stuff of mine, like some earlier chapbook, for example. Mm. Poems were taken out of there and just kind of revamped or yeah. put through that process for huh. this book. Mm. So several years in the making, if you want yeah. to look at it that way. Yeah. yeah. Quite mm. a few years, I guess. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think right now we'll maybe have you uh, read another poem for everybody before we jump into the larger context of the discussion. And we're also going to have wine top up yeah because our glasses are getting low thank you look at that was loud in my it's the sound that everybody wants to hear though we're making people thirsty when it goes beautiful there we go okay kelly can you carry us on with the yep um so janice i don't know if a lot of people are familiar with him i've also heard it pronounced yanis Mm. But anyway, yeah. um, the Roman god of, see if I can get this right, um, of doorways, yeah. of, of beginnings, sort of of new beginnings. Mm. So he was the god of the new year, um, associated with any kind of opening or new beginning type thing. Yeah. So that's where we get the word January, <clears throat> for example, the new year, and also janitor, like the person who would open the doors in the morning. That's where we get the word oh. janitor. Oh. So the god of doorways. Okay. Um, I didn't know that one. And, and so on. And also he's depicted, whenever you see him, as having two faces or like two heads almost. He's yeah. looking both into the future and the past at the same time. So it's referencing that guy. Okay. But it's imagining him if that Roman god was on the streets in Edmonton, basically. Okay. So, that's, so there's a bunch of references to him mm. in those. Yeah. As we update the plan to end homelessness, we'd like your thoughts. This also begins with an epigraph from Emily McGiffin. He knows no remedy for the dark birds circling his mind. Things are alive only to the degree that their bodies are porous. These questions explore demographics, the minivan's liturgy, the hockey card tarot, and you, Janice, stuttering god of gates and doorways, After all these years, you still stand and blink when one is closed in your face. The fear of nature is also nature, and you never seem to know if you're coming or going. You walk in two directions and argue with yourself, your hair going one way, your beard another. Blown by a scorching wind that no one feels, you rock and twist from side to side, staring unblinking at the heavens and shouting, pointing with broken fingernails at something beneath Jasper Avenue. Your right hand might literally not know what your left is doing. Does one shake an empty paper Tim Hortons cup? Do you totter cigarette butt to bottle cap, some days never even touching the ground? Do you sleep standing in archways? Are your dusty shoes signs in the desert, pointing the way to two distant cities, anchored by Gasoline Alley? Tell us about yourself. Some part of your madness must be a lingering fear of the new year, the danger of freezing to death. You look into the future and into the past we can see, but it would be wrong to say your eyes gaze wildly in two directions at once. No, your eyes are the only level and steady thing about you. It is everyone else who turns and looks aside. Frustrated 
by how long this light takes to change? Call 311 or submit a report online. Yeah, and how, you know, the, the last two lines there are so almost like these random, completely unexpected, um, you know, a completely random, unexpected ending to that poem, and yet it works so well with, you know, as you say, weaving it through almost like the, the magpie nest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there feels like a real um, sense to both the beginning and the yeah. ending, and like, like even just like, the frustrated or like what what are we irrationally frustrated about and um i wanted to talk in different orders but now i'm just going to jump around with all the questions so hopefully yeah i do want to just say before you do that though that the first line in this poem like it grabs you right from the very very beginning that things are alive only to the degree that their bodies are porous i mean that line just pulled me in immediately yeah i guess um I'm wondering, too, if uh, uh, there's a relevancy to this question, too, like based on our earlier conversation, because you've kind of already gotten at it a little bit, but there's a lot of humor in these poems, and they're poking fun at um, bureaucracy and a lot of maybe some of the inefficacy of, you know, some of the solutions that cities Mm -hmm. and civilizations come up with to um, manage and run society uh, in, in their attempts to sort of solve social issues such as homelessness. And I'm kind of wondering um, what effect do you think that the humor in some of these poems do in either maybe like solving or acknowledging these issues or what? Hmm. Um, I feel like that's like kind of like one of the, the, the greater mm-hmm. works or messages that like a lot of these poems are doing. And I want you to <clears throat> kind of just talk on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, that is a good question. I did mention a little bit about humor, just that it sort of has this effect of or it can sort of this almost jarring effect in a way, which can be positive or negative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of things like homelessness, for example, um, we are blind to them, even though mm-hmm. they're right in front of us. We just sort of, we turn away, right? Like we have this kind of built-in thing. We all do it, right? Like I've, I've done yeah. it myself and I'm not proud of it, but just sort of walk by another human being yeah. who needs help and just sort of, I don't see that person. I'm just walking. I'm busy. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we just have this weird um, dehumanizing kind of tendency. Yeah. We just do. Um, and some people more than others and so on. But as a society, I think it would be fair to say that we do. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> and I think all the political slogans in the world, and I think all the statistics or studies in the world, won't change that. Mm-hmm. Because we already have all of that, right? We have how many committees and statistics and everything on this stuff. So I don't think that's going to make people see. But I think um, maybe being jarred in some way. Mm-hmm. For example, a weird joke that's like, huh? What? Is, what? Like, I never looked at it that way. Right. Kind of idea. That's a little bit what I'm going for is this idea of trying to see something in a new way that yeah. can be a funny joke, but it can also be something that, wow, I should actually look at that because that's that's messed up. I shouldn't be looking away from that right. or something. Right. And I think there's a lot of power in that final line <clears throat> where it's like, if you're frustrated by a light not changing, just call 311 the same right. way that you can call this number if you see a homeless person passed out or just how we're treating right. both of those things yeah. in the same way. Or like, here's a survey that's going to help end homelessness. Right. And right. yeah. So Well, and I mean, even just 
as we've mentioned a few times jokingly on the podcast, it is ex- incredibly cold mm-hmm. these days right now. I mean, minus 39. And it has been, uh, you know, kind of plastered all over social media and the news that if you see someone, you know, if you see a, a homeless person on, you know, struggling or, or in need of help right now, to call 311. And yeah, it is kind of almost like this. You can remove yourself from actually being a, you know, I don't know how to say it properly, but it almost gives you that permission, that built-in permission to keep walking by, but I'm going to dial 311 on my phone, so it's okay, you know? Um, By creating some of these systems, I think we're removing that social responsibility on the the personal responsibility on on someone. It becomes kind of a bureaucratic process. Right. The same way as, like... There's a pothole in my back alley. Can someone please come and fill it or whatever? Like it, it just yeah. becomes it's okay. Fill out this form. We'll get back to you. Yeah. Or whatever. And that's yeah. sort of how we would treat it. I'm not saying we should, you know, burn it all down or something. No. And thank mean, goodness that there are those programs in place to be course. able to. You know, we're not. I certainly don't want to bash that either. But yeah, it is interesting how humanity kind of shifts in its evolution of what, how we treat each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, um, sort of on this continued theme of bureaucracy and other things that mm-hmm. you're talking about and suburban sprawl in the collection, um, can you talk a little bit more about the specifics of writing poetry so rooted in Edmonton in this mm-hmm. place and um, <clears throat> what things you've been wanting to highlight or showcase about it? Yeah. And the, I guess the critiques too. Yeah. Um, I came upon a sort of a concept a few years ago that really stuck with me. And it's called shadow geography. And that's really what I'm doing here. It's, uh, it's, it's sort of what is hidden or what is repressed about a place. And you can almost look at it in like the psychological sense, like the shadow, right? Mm. The Jungian sense, the shadow is, is that part of us that we don't even want to acknowledge or maybe we can't acknowledge. So we just push it down in some way. Mm. It's kind of that part, but for a place. So it's the, the dirty secrets or the skeletons in the closet. It's what will not appear in the tourist brochures, right? right. It's not the nice-looking stuff in the public art. And the, it's, so that's why things like homelessness, urban wildlife, like just some of these, right. they're equally part of our reality, but they're kind of, we, don't, we just don't want to talk about them necessarily. Or, mm-hmm. So that's, I've, I feel like I've lost track a little bit of your question, though, on this. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, and I guess, like, just um, the, oh, the things that you're talking about, rooting them in Edmonton. Right, yeah. right. But, Sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, you're doing great. I've been, I'm almost <laughs> half finished this water, so. Yeah. <laughs> so much water. Right. So, so, so much water being drank. Um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, so really specifically, like, sort of a study of Edmonton. Like, I, mm-hmm. I would literally, I was, I would always have a notebook in my pocket, like, constantly, and just be taking notes and copying stuff down, like signs and et cetera, images. So sort of like an anthropological study almost, or something like that, yeah. of, of Edmonton. And it was a decision to be very Edmonton, you know, like, should it be just kind of a generic city, or should it be really super Edmonton-focused? And I chose the Edmonton one, just because it's like, I don't know, it seems more powerful to to be really, really local and really specific yeah. and sort of regional. Um, and it's in, it is an interesting choice because often I think there's a push to be less 
um, specific about location and place um, when you're looking at having work published, right? Um, so that it's, you know, the broader, the broader the place or the broader the location, the, the more broad of an of a audience you may have. Um, so you've kind of yeah. gone the other way. Yeah. Yeah. And yet you've still found a broad, well, obviously, you've still found a broad audience with it. I hope it reaches a large audience. I've, I've been lucky to do some readings in a few different places and stuff. But it's a Saskatoon publisher, so it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not like you only found a publisher in the location of the book. You know, it right. still has um, speak, and I think maybe a lot of cities speak to some of these topics, regardless of whether it's Edmonton or, uh, you know, Regina or whatever the case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I also, mm-hmm. I almost see it as, as a very Western Canadian project, like a Saskatoon yeah. publisher. My editor is from BC, mm-hmm. and then it's about Edmonton, right? So it's this very sort of. We could probably all relate in some level, and whether Absolutely. you're from Winnipeg or, you know, etc. Well, I don't know, know about those Winnipeg folks. Winnipeg. <laughs> they're probably just as cold as us tonight. I think they're colder. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. yeah. yeah. Oops. Sorry, Winnipeg. Sorry, Winnipeg. I, I also feel like I'm not entirely answering your question, though. Sorry. I feel oh, like yeah. I'm circling around your question, no, but yeah. I'm not really... Well, I mean, if, if, do you have a more specific answer that you want to... <laughs> no, not really. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm apologizing for not having... No, don't. <laughs> I'm just saying, you, you put Edmonton Poems yeah. as the subtitle... You on, did. ...on the text. Yeah. Um, why, Kelly? Yeah, okay. Okay. Well, getting no, this is, well, this is good. That was, that was helpful. Um... We consume culture from elsewhere most of the time, right? We watch American, nothing against Americans, but we watch American television and read American stuff, and mostly American. Yeah. And the UK and other cities, a lot of people probably are very familiar with Central Park in New York City. Right. Just from movies, from never even being there themselves, right? This is a big part of us as Canadians is the sort of weird imported um, it has to be in a place like London or Paris for it to be a good story, right? Yeah. We have this sort of weird, mm-hmm. it's part of maybe the Canadian stereotype of us being, having a poor self-esteem or something, mm. or, you know, I'm not sure, but anyway. Yeah. So it seems like for places to be, to really be places, like to be, to have their own arts and culture and to recognize themselves as themselves, there needs to be things like, you know, a show about Edmonton, a Netflix yeah. series based in Edmonton, Do an they? Edmonton superhero. I don't know. Yes. Right? Like, we yeah. need to see our own places in our entertainment, not just... Yeah. See, that's that's my agree. sermon. That it's was a perfect. sermon. Yeah. It was wonderful. And I mean, Rand and I can relate to that. Yes. Yeah. Two people who are doing a podcast, mostly about yeah. that's Edmonton. Why we chose, Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah, why we yeah. chose it's exactly to, the same. to specifically focus on primarily poets in Alberta. Mm-hmm. because there are so many wonderful uh, poets here that are not recognized elsewhere, because if you're not from a place like Toronto or Vancouver or New York, you know, the big names, you of, often are um, just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, looked past, glossed over. Um, but, yeah, there's some really great stories and storytellers that should be showcased. Yeah, exactly. That was my sermon. Yeah, no, yeah. We're, all, we're all part of it. Good. Um I'm going to, like, invite <laughs> Kelly to maybe take a step into another sermon. Because um, this is perhaps, like, a little bit harder of a question. But 
um, you know, people who read and experience your poetry, um, what work do you think that, like, people and citizens like that um, should do in their lives? Um, how do you hope it'll kind of maybe shift them in terms of, like, political engagement, or mm. what are things that, after having read Insomnia Bird, that <clears throat> they should be taking from it to, to do? Hmm. I think part of it is is just noticing, right? It's just maybe sort of awareness. I'm not saying I'm, like, some sort of super aware person or something either, mm-hmm. but I think the process of deliberately walking around with a notebook and trying to document really, really sort of small details for months, for a year, quite a long period of time, made me realize there's so many interesting things and we don't notice them, right? We just yeah. tend to, we just take them for granted. So maybe even just that people would would just notice stuff around us, right? Notice, like, look at the trees. Look at the trees around us, for example. Yeah. They're, they're in here quite a bit, right? That Edmonton's sort of big mm-hmm. collection of American elms. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Like, it's just beautiful. It sort of, it, it sort of makes the city almost a museum or something. Mm-hmm. But we just, like, drive by them or walk by them and don't really think about it. But at, but at the same time... Um, it's not an ideal situation because machine no- noises are keeping the magpie awake or, yeah. right? There's these different sort of distractions and bright lights. And so. Yeah. What all is of it? those things combined with the kind of the randomness of the, yeah. the, the poem and the words and the lines mixed together. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I'm like wondering to take it to like a next step though. It's sort of like, what is it? Um, about like the poetic form and like poetry itself mm. that calls you to like use your voice in that way in, in terms of like okay. instead of like you know mm. some of these things that could be like oh I could just write a rant to a, like a letter right. to the editor about how I feel about homelessness and how it's dealt with in the city or you know there's other forms and so why my yeah. poetry mm-hmm. um it I think it's I think it's the best I think it's the best form for trying to do a whole bunch of things at the same time. I think a letter to the editor can only do one thing mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I said with statistics or political screeds or whatever, might not even do it that effectively necessarily. Um, whereas I think something like poetry which enables you to move in and out of voices, move in and out of different perspectives. Um, use rhythm sometimes or yeah. use sound sometimes use visual imagery sometimes right like it's it's a much more engaging form yeah. um, in in general right that sort of poetry overall I think it's just capable of a lot more touching people like touching sort of grabbing your attention or your emotions or something in a way that again maybe yeah. just an essay necessarily might not be able to do or yeah yeah maybe some <laughs> that's that's my answer for now. I, a, I bet I, I could. A, I think it's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. We're asking you to defend yourself as a poet, or else we'll make you pull the card out of your wallet, and we have a large pair of scissors <laughs> that we can snip with yeah, right. the card yeah. into three my, pieces. My poet ID. Yeah. Right. And then we feed it to the magpies. Oh, because <laughs> they would put it in their nest. Yeah, they would put it in their nest. Line their nest. Actually, that's really a pretty visual. Like, <laughs> not for Kelly. No, it's a little bit I, sad I, for me. No, but no, otherwise, not for, no. Otherwise, it's no, nice. I, <laughs> I think the idea of like um, pages from from books 
Oh, as, okay. as a lining for Meg Pines. The visual of that, to me, I was really... Like, yeah. I feel like that's would be a beautiful visual. I was thinking more that, like, magpies build their nests from, like, dying poets' dreams. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Like, every poem that never was, a magpie has stolen oh, it and put it in the I nest. have a whole cupboard full of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we all do. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's pretty neat, actually. That's a neat image. Yeah. yeah. It's like this sort of bleak... Um, mm. It'd have to be, like, a skeletal bird or something. It would have to be some kind of a yeah. land of the dead. Something mm-hmm. that's going on. But I'm like, that's, but, like, what happens when it's, like you know, a glass and a half of Cab Franc, and I'm like, oh, yeah. here's what I think of my career right well, now. Well, and even <laughs> in, as I'm, as you're saying that, Kelly's uh, previous yeah, book, Shift, true. does have uh, the bird and the skeleton. You like birds, Kelly. Both of your books have birds on the cover. Um, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know what to say. Was that planned? <laughs> <laughs> was that planned? Not, not really. Oh. That book was designed by the publisher. I think it's beautiful. I love yeah. that cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I didn't choose the image at all. Um, whereas this oh, one, I, I was much more involved in the process of this cover. Okay. So it's... Okay. There's a theme, though. Random. I mean, there's, there's birds in both books, I guess, but... Randomness finds its way. So, Kelly, would you like to um, maybe share another poem with us? Um, and Matthew and I were thinking um, the, the poem that we'd love to have you read uh, is actually the last poem of the last poem in the collection and it's called who's not here who's not here they perch at the tops of trees which is a means of visually establishing their territory the equivalent of other bird species songs the province of alberta has completed a functional planning study over three kilometers of ultimate freeway alignment park people Always begin with asking, who's not here? And, while parks can be welcoming to everyone, they are not socially neutral places. The grind and thunder of bulldozers frightens coots, flattens trees, erasing what was here before, erasing the possibility of remembering it. An economy jumps, an urban center doubles its size. A workforce is employed. Everyone rushes to finish before winter. Park people. There are too many community gardens in the world. With something like dignity, Canada geese leave their unquiet fields and endangered ponds to fly south. Our quality of life is measured in square footage, horsepower, flat screen inches. In exchange for these things, a city auctions off its own memories. Exposed clay and rubber tire-colored night gives way to another sunrise, dark, yellow, and dusty. Earth movers and dump trucks. Are you sure those LED billboards are bright enough? Mm. I feel like that poem is... um you know, really, when we were reading uh, earlier on about how uh, they say, you know, the, the publisher was saying how the book is, you know, at times uh, kind of judging, judging of Edmonton, or I don't think judging is the right word, but I, I feel like this poem is really that. It's pretty That's that's critical. Yeah, isn't pretty it? critical. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm nodding and kind of 
hmm with you the whole time as you're reading it yeah like how you know auctioning off our own memories and there are too many community gardens in the world now was that was that particular line a found line yeah okay yeah they're from websites and stuff they would be cited in there okay oh so the they are cited somewhere. at the back of the book i believe yeah yeah it should be yeah yeah so some of just just some bizarre and stuff, but. what made you decide to make this the last poem of the book was it a conscious decision? Um, yeah. 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 Uh, it, like I said, it was a big process putting this together, and that wasn't going to be the first. It, they were shuffled around a little bit. Yeah. Um, it ties together a bunch of the different themes, I think, mm-hmm. which is sort of urban sprawl and the effect on wildlife. I mean, magpies aren't mentioned, but coots and Canada geese and so on, like just habitat. Yeah. Um, and then kind of the, the recurring imagery throughout of magpie sort of birds in general being affected by noise and being affected by lights and so on. Mm-hmm. The last line about the LED billboards, right? Yeah. It's just this. Because those, those are crazy, aren't they? They like, are crazy. It's like it is as bright as daylight out here. Yeah. And it's the middle of the night, but I'm looking at a big Samsung ad or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, as I was reading it, though, I was going, jeez, oh, like this, this is <laughs> This is pretty critical. Whoops. Well, maybe you should have thought about it before the book came out. I guess so. It's too late now, though. No, but I mean, you know, I think as, as you know, I've often said as poets, that's part of the job of a, of a poet is to critique and to question and to, and to ask, you know, how can we be different? And I mean, really, this whole book is, is, is that, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, one thing yeah. I want to mark that I just mm-hmm. find so interesting, too, is that, that the, the Choose Your Own Adventure poem that we had talked about right. earlier, mm-hmm. that only appears on, like, page 30 of the collection, um, the first thing that it says is, if you think the construction of that tower is an encroachment on previous city planning commitments, please skip ahead to page 100. Mm-hmm. So, just if you have that thought, don't bother reading this book, and just go to the very, oh. just go to the it, very it last It takes you to the very thing. last poem. And it yeah. takes you to the last poem. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't catch on to that, Matthew. Oh, that's that's what the work that I do when I read it. Look at you. I nice. follow the choose your own adventure poems. <laughs> nice. I, I do well that done. first. So I was just yeah. I wanted to see what poems hmm. you were leading people to, and I find yeah. That. So it's like so this poem. That poem is leading people to the different pages in the. It is. The they're collection. they're specifically about those topics. Okay, everybody, read that poem for sure. So yeah, that one's sort of like you can just skip this whole book. Yeah. Sort of you've, got, you've got all the knowledge that Kelly Shepard has. Yeah, you don't have to. I have nothing yeah. more for you. Yeah. <laughs> go to the end. Wow. So very, very cool. So I like that. Okay. Well, thank you. In terms of you know takeaways mm-hmm. and everything um, that's going on with this book, um, what what do you hope people take away most from it if they did read all of the pages before Ooh. page one hundred? Let's end with that that's big, big question. That's, that is a big question. Um, <laughs> Matthew's smirking. <laughs> what did they take away? Maybe I am that. To, sheesh. Mm. I mean, part of it is the noticing thing that I already mentioned before, just to yeah. sort of maybe pay more attention to things around. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I on, you know what? On one level, I don't want to be telling people to do anything. Like, it isn't it isn't meant to be a lesson or a sermon like there's yeah. not the moral of the story is if yeah. you if you're honest you'll have a happy life or whatever like it isn't meant to be a teaching moment yeah. some of it is just meant to be you just get lost in this tangle right like there's this 
big kind of sometimes funny, sometimes jarring, some very sad things, but some very beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And it's all just kind of woven together. And we're in it. Yeah. It's That's kind of what it is, right? More than an actual takeaway. It's just kind of trying to capture that, I think. Hmm. Realizing the there. tangle and surviving it. Yeah. That we're in it. I like that a lot. Yeah. Okay. That's a good thing. It's a great thing. I think that's a um, maybe a really powerful way to to end it. Yeah. All right. Um, so this is a poem that was mentioned earlier. Um, I don't want to say too much about it, but it's one of the stories happened to my parents and one of the stories happened to a guy that my dad knew in my hometown. So I grew up hearing both of these stories and I just put them together to make this poem. So it's a true story, but not exactly as it appears here. But okay. <clears throat> I've also changed the names of people in this poem. Okay. okay. It's called Ed Rempel's Dog. Here's something. Remember Ed Rempel's dog? Big German Shepherd? Well, I was at the Hudson with Alvin earlier today, and Ed comes in. Pretty shaken up. Turns out some of his chickens had taken to roosting in the hog barn on the backs of the pigs. I don't know, maybe trying to stay warm? Anyways, come morning, there were no more chickens. It's not like those pigs go hungry. They get all kinds of stuff on top of the regular feed. Small carrots from their garden, apple peels and cores from when Helen makes pies, you know. Ed practically spoils them. Anyway, bones and feathers and everything. The pigs ate them in the night. And those were some of his good laying hens. So old Ed was pretty mad. So he goes to teach those pigs a lesson. Rocky, that's the German Shepherd's name, he gets Rocky and puts him in the pig pen. Close the door to the barn so there's nowhere for them to run. He said he was thinking before he did it, I hope Rocky don't hurt those pigs too bad. He just wanted to put a scare into them. Then Ed had to drive down to Anderson's corner to pick something up, but he figured he wouldn't be longer than ten minutes. The pig should still be okay in that little time. He was pretty mad, though. But when Ed gets home, no Rocky. He thought maybe he jumped the fence and went back to the house or the cow barn, but Ed couldn't find him anywhere. He said he walked through the pig pen one more time and something caught his eye. A little patch of fur on the ground. It was Rocky's tail. Just his tail. That's all that was left. Can you believe that? That was a big dog. He had that dog for years, too. Ed was pretty shaken up. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna go to the bathroom and cry. Right? Like, the poem is just so... It's so powerful in its... Almost like in its simplicity, right? But it's so strong and powerful. And every time, I'm like... Why did he think the dog would be fine? so... <laughs> Why did he think the dog would be fine? <laughs> I just like, I'm just, I'm like, which part of these stories, like, which one are the, this story, which one's this story? But I was like, in what realm does, like, a bunch of pigs eat a bunch of chickens? And you're like, I'll just put something else in there that... But like, I, but I mean, I grew up on a farm, as Kelly did. And yeah. so often, you know, you, yeah, you, the, the farmer would be just like, oh, I'm going to put the dog in there. He'll take care of those pigs. 
not... Did that happen every time to the dog, though? Did anyone... Because, like, I just, like... I, and this is a true story, correct, Kelly? Yeah. So yeah. the chickens one happened to my parents, from what I understand. Yeah. Unrelated to the other one. Yeah. I've right. put them together here, yes, but unrelated. Yes. So maybe logically, if that really happened to a person... You would they the wouldn't do the other thing. I, I, I like, get I get that. I feel like but the farmer still would. I they, really yeah. do. He was pretty choked, so yeah. I don't know. But anyway, but then the other one, the dog one, is just a story I heard. It was about someone else. So yeah. but that wasn't my own experience. It wasn't my dog. Or... Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, thank you again, Kelly, for um, sharing that all of the wonderful poems and your poetic process with us tonight. And also that final poem that may give me a couple of nightmares yeah, a couple, tonight. A couple. Um, but yeah, this has been this has been wonderful, and it's been a real pleasure sharing a bottle of wine and a bunch of poems with you yeah. tonight. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Yeah, we've enjoyed yeah, talking. Thanks with you. a lot. Yeah. Um, and we also want to thank Gravinder Batia and the Writers Guild of Alberta for being amazing partners and supporters of the podcast, and to. Uh, and yeah, and also to, to keep up to date on the podcasts, we implore you to follow us <laughs> on Twitter at Let's underscore Lit and subscribe and listen to the podcast at audioboom.com and more places where you listen to your favorite podcasts. Yes. And shall we have a cheers to end the evening? That sounds lovely. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>